Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, the expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine, and he's the author of the textbook of bioidentical hormones. We've got an interesting show for you today. We'll talk about insomnia. Did you know that an estimated 30 to 50% of the general population are affected by insomnia, and 10% of those have chronic insomnia? Here's an interesting fact. The annual medical and reduced productivity cost associated with insomnia among U.S. workers is estimated to be between 92 and $107 billion per year. Welcome, Dr. Edward Lichten. How are you? I'm great. You know, the, the first time I came to your office, we talked about sleep as part of my original consultation with you. And I mentioned it in an earlier program. You said, how are you sleeping? And I found that to be an interesting question. You know, I'd been to other doctors before, and no one said to me, how are you sleeping? But it's a very important part of our health, isn't it? No question. There's two parts here. First is that sleep is what defines how well you recover. If you don't sleep, you wake up exhausted, and you're running on adrenaline. You're pushing yourself to function when, if you have a good night of natural sleep, everything comes easier. Mm -hmm. The second part is that insomnia is a symptom for hormonal imbalance because the brain, the old brain, the hypothalamus, the pineal gland, whatever we're talking about, or the third eye if you want to use some generic terms, really defines the first of the hormone systems that functions every day. So if you don't sleep, everything's off. And if you don't sleep, it's a symptom that other things are off. So it's two components. How well you sleep really defines how well your day goes. So break it down for us. What is it that keeps people from sleeping? Well, first of all, let's start by what makes you sleep. If you think about it, there is a certain circadian rhythm, which means that you have maybe 12 hours of wakefulness and 12 hours of sleep. And this focus or this function depends on sunlight. I mean, most of us are asleep when it's dark and we're awake when it's light. Mm -hmm. So if you take that concept, then what defines sleep really is enough sunlight. So take people who don't sleep, put them on vacation, send them to the Caribbean, they're outside, they get all this sun, they go back and they sleep better. So we know that sunlight is an inherent component of normal sleep. Now most of us work indoors. We wear clothes that covers us up. Most of us, at least in Michigan and the Northwest, and the northern half of the United States really don't have sunlight for four or five months a year. Right. And there's a whole psychological component called SAD, seasonal affective disorder. People get tired and depressed and sad during this phase when there's no sunlight. So what the natural function is, is that when sun hits your skin, and we'll call talk about young skin versus old skin, mm -hmm. it, it affects cells in the skin called melanocytes. And the melanocytes make vitamin D. What are mel melanocytes? Yeah, melanocytes are what, when you tan, makes the skin darker. Oh, for the, like the melanin, I got Yeah, the melanin, very good. So the part is that when sunlight hits these melanocytes or chromocytes or whatever cell it is in the skin, it makes vitamin D. And you need, a young person needs 10 to 15 minutes of bright sunlight to make 10,000 units of vitamin D, which keeps the brain on cycle. Mm -hmm. If you are older, or you don't get enough sunlight, then you don't make enough vitamin D, and then for your brain doesn't have the right signals to function on this circadian rhythm of 12 hours on and 12 hours off. So by not getting enough sunlight, 
or having older skin or not getting enough vitamin D, which is the bottom line, that is the first criteria for having poor sleep patterns. So how do you explain people that live in Alaska where they can go long periods of time with darkness or light? How do they adjust? I don't know, but there is definite data about incidents of depression and suicide that's much higher in these environments. And remember the movie with uh, uh, Robin Williams called Insomnia, Seven Days Without Sleep and Everybody's Crazy? Yeah, so that would be I me. Really, well, that would be most of us. So the bottom line is there is a certain pattern of adjustment that people can do, but you don't see a whole lot of people living above the Arctic Circle either. You know, So the point is you might be able to adjust, especially the younger population may be able to adjust, but I'm not saying that most of us can. But the point is we're not there, we're here, and we're used to a pattern of sunlight of 12 hours of sun and 12 hours of darkness, mm-hmm. and that's what we most of us function with. And it's key is vitamin D. The other interesting thing is in these environments you're talking about, they're northern environments, yep. they're living on fish. And fish has the highest concentration of vitamin D. So maybe the compensation mm-hmm. is that they're getting their vitamin D so their brains are working while most of us down here don't. That's interesting. I wonder how, how long man used to sleep thousands of years ago. Well, you, if they didn't have candles or fire to stay awake with, they're going to follow the sleep pattern of the sun. And the sleep pattern, as you see here, I mean, this is now coming to, you know, summer. We find darkness starts at 9 o'clock at mm-hmm. night and is gone at 6 in the morning. So there's nine hours. Studies show that somewhere between 8 to 9 hours sleep is the best for your performance. Yet there are people, I've heard Donald Trump say that he gets four hours a night and he's fine. So it's it's different for different people, I guess. There's sometimes that I've been able to function with a lot less sleep and sometimes I don't. But the point is, who would believe Donald Trump anyway? <laughs> True. But the, the pract- practical, everyone has to find their own need. Uh, getting less than six hours sleep is detrimental. Having more than 10 hours sleep implies there's some other medical problem. In between six and 10 seems to be logical and normal. But, you know, you would be a really good example of sleep deprivation. Your background as a gynecologist is one of being up all night long, and you can be on call many days in a row. And I know other gynecologists that learn to adjust uh, to getting naps when they can, and your sleep cycles are never normal. No question. The other thing you can say is now that you're past your 50s, uh, what percentage of your colleagues have had open-heart surgery, and the instance is 50%. Ah. So maybe all that sleep deprivation didn't help either. True. And, you know, there are different reasons that people don't sleep. And some people who have insomnia, it's temporary. They're under a lot of anxiety, so they're not able to sleep. I mean, that's normal insomnia. Right. What we're talking about is now breaking down each of the six endocrine systems that we talk about in the in the textbook. Uh-huh. But in a normal circumstance, if everybody were perfectly normal... You got to get enough vitamin D. You got to get enough sunlight. So the first argument is, well, the skin doctors, the dermatologists are saying don't get sun because you'll get skin cancer. Well, like anything else, there's a limit. If you're blonde, blue-eyed, and you're going to lay out in the sun all day long when you're 18, you'll end up with more problems than if you're using some covering and using some skin covering. No question about that. But reasonableness is that we need... 15 to 20 minutes, 
shirt off. You know, girls can wear their bikini, but it, it's okay. But the bottom line is, oh. well, sorry, Steve. You know, I'm just talking. It's <laughs> a mature, mature, mature male here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is you need 15 to 20 minutes of bright sunlight. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to get enough bright sunlight, you need to take four to 6,000 units of vitamin D. And it has to be liquid form. has to be in drops because the capsules don't seem to work. And studies have been done across the world showing that if you take 10,000, up to 10,000 units of vitamin D, which would be a capsule instead of the liquid, that you end up with less fibromyalgia, less lupus, less multiple sclerosis, less heart disease, less problems with your bones. Vitamin D is a thing that's missing. And people say, well, I get my vitamin D in the milk. Well, you only get a couple hundred units of vitamin D in the milk. So if you did one supplement to set your life straight, starting at the age of three months, it would be vitamin D. And that's easy. It's inexpensive. So let's get beyond that vitamin D because obviously it's a good place to start. And when people come to see you, you check their vitamin D levels and you'll know uh, who is deficient. And as you've said in previous shows, many are. I've had four patients who had normal levels in four years. Check that out. Wow. Interesting study was made that in dark-skinned individuals, they need more sunlight, more vitamin D. Studies done 25 years ago showed every foreign immigrant to England had low levels of vitamin D. So not only do us pale white people need vitamin D, but those with darker skin need twice the levels because the sun doesn't penetrate darker skin. Good point. So if you're Hispanic, you need more. And if you're very dark skin and black, you need more. And the interesting thing, just with vitamin D alone, is that the individuals with very dark skin with very low levels of vitamin D are most prone to hypertension. And one thing I find in my practice is just taking vitamin D. I had an African-American woman who had hypertension for 20 years. She came back in the first week doing adequate vitamin D, dropped her blood pressure 20 points. So vitamin D is more than sleep. It sets the whole criteria, the whole function, the whole motion for the whole body. So we have to start with that first. So 2,000 to 6,000 IUs per day, best taken at night. Right. It helps you sleep. And on top of that, there's a self-limiting factor. If you try to take too much vitamin D, you get nauseated. So you'll know when it's too much. And trust me, I haven't seen anybody yet who's had too much vitamin D. So beyond vitamin D, I see that there's this industry that's formed around insomnia now. All kinds of over-the-counter things like melatonin. Now, when melatonin came out, it was highly touted as the way to sleep. And I can tell you from having insomnia myself, it sure wasn't the way for me. What do you think about melatonin? The interesting work with melatonin was done by a colleague of mine, uh, Regelson out of Virginia. And his data looked really good because melatonin is a super antioxidant. It's actually one of the strongest antioxidants. But then now you realize hormones are more potent antioxidants than even vitamin C and fish oil. Right. So melatonin actually is a fantastic product and studies were done saying, look, melatonin is a great cure-all for sleep. The trouble is when these articles came out in the 80s, everybody jumped on it. It was a miracle cure left and right. And then people looked at it and did more studies and it doesn't seem to work that well. Mm. Now, melatonin is fantastic for kids who have sleep disturbances. Melatonin worked for night terrors where the kids wake up screaming and paralyzed with fear. Melatonin is fantastic for it and there's no side effects. You use melatonin for blind kids. 
to get their sleep patterns organized. And you can take one milligram or a thousand milligrams of melatonin. There's no toxicity. The trouble is it doesn't work for sleep disturbances for adults as well. Yeah, it didn't for me. But boy, that's an interesting point you just brought up about blind people. We talked about people in Alaska, blind people. You know, they don't have the night and day, the light, the darkness. It's all darkness. Do blind people have more sleep problems than people that are not? Yes. Yes, definitely. So the concept here now, we have established the first hormone is vitamin D and the second hormone is melatonin. But Mm -hmm. the interesting thing, you know what controls melatonin production? No. Vitamin D. Oh, so they work together. Melatonin is one step in the derivative down from vitamin D and vitamin D is necessary to make melatonin. So the interesting thing, if you have enough vitamin D, you make enough melatonin. So between the two, I would say 90% of the time, I'll have vitamin D will help or at least be beneficial, more beneficial than melatonin. But it doesn't hurt to take melatonin. It's a great antioxidant, but vitamin D is more important in the cascade of sleep disturbance. Then for a while, everyone thought that tryptophan was the answer, and tryptophan was helping some people with sleep disorders for a while, and then it was banned. And now it's back, and now there's a new form called 5-HTP. What do you know about that? Tryptophan's been around, and and we knew it worked to help with sleep and depression and uh, from the 1920s and 30s, when most of the hormonal work was actually done, in the, and natural work was done in the United States. What happens in the early... Late 80s, early 90s, a batch of tryptophan, which they get it out of seaweed, was contaminated by red tide. And red tide is a parasite, bacteria, something or other that that is poisonous. And a few people in Japan got sick or died. It was not tryptophan. It was a contaminated product. Just like we have, you know, can't get heparin from China now because it was contaminated. But but the U.S. government, in its wisdom, banned all the tryptophan. What happens is 5-hydroxytryptophan is a chemical derivative of tryptophan, and it comes U.S. pure, U.S. pharmacy pure, just like Lipitor or thyroid. So these products now that we use, and I use 5-HTP because it's more concentrated and it's available, is basically as safe as taking any prescription medication. 5-hydroxytryptophan have an effect of raising your serotonin level, which is one of your natural brain chemicals which helps to calm down adrenaline. So you have adrenaline keeping you awake, you know, speed, adrenaline, you know, hit that ball, think about that person who's aggravating you, whatever adrenaline <laughs> is that keeps you awake. Oh, yeah. And then you have, on the other side, you have two chemicals that turn it off, one being serotonin. What is serotonin? Serotonin is a chemical the brain makes, and this is like what the Prozac and the Paxils are supposed to do. Raise your serotonin so you feel calm. Gotcha. The second one, is called GABA. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Mm. So the brain uses serotonin and GABA to turn off your adrenaline. And 5-HTP helps raise your levels of serotonin. So I use it for people who are asleep, people who are depressed, uh, people who are anxious. And 5-hydroxytryptophan, just like melatonin, is so safe you can have the whole bottle at one time. There is no toxicity. It is a food so you can't overdose on either 5-HTP or melatonin. Feel comfortable, use increased levels to see if you get a response. Vitamin D, melatonin, uh, tryptophan. Then there are people that try to do it through teas like valerian, also supposed to calm you down. And chamomile. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, these work some, but our society to me is so driven, so adrenalized that uh, I don't find they work as well as they probably worked 50 or 100 years ago. Well, you know what the marketing companies are doing. They take them all, they put them in a bottle, and they've got the super sleep formula for you. They do it all, the melatonin, the HTP, and all that crap, all in one thing, and to me, still doesn't work. When I came to you, you talked to me about GABA. Talk to us about that. Um, when I turned 50, which is a little while back, I got... A couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks, right, 12 years ago. But uh, the uh, I, I got insomnia, and I had access to all these drugs that are available, and nothing worked. And I went through almost five years of basically chronic insomnia. And uh, frustration, one day I turned to uh, uh, the... Uh, chiropractor I was seeing for aches and pains and he said try the vitamin D and the vitamin D helped but it wasn't quite enough for me and then I looked at the science and I had patients who were taking a muscle relaxer called gabapentin or neurotin and we use this for headache patients and seizure patients and they report pretty good sleep so I went ahead and got a prescription from a colleague of mine for gabapentin and the doses we use for gabapentin is 3,000 milligrams a day and I found that just 400 milligrams at nighttime really put me to sleep. And the neurology is that gabapentin is GABA with a pentin molecule. And the reason is getting across the blood-brain barrier is very difficult. Both the brain set up to protect itself from chemicals. If you get an infection in the brain, you die. Getting across the blood-brain barrier is very difficult. But they found that adding pentin to the GABA molecule would get GABA across. And GABA is great for sleep. And I find adding a little bit of gabapentin four or five days a week. Sleep patterns are fantastic because you're raising your GABA levels. 5-HTP raises your serotonin levels. Vitamin D raises your melatonin and vitamin D levels. And that's my combination. I think it works probably 95% of the time. How does GABA work for seizure patients? Actually, it calms down the neural activity in the brain, which is what you want to do to sleep anyway. But when I looked that up, when I first got my prescription for GABA, you didn't see a lot of stuff on the internet about sleep. You saw it about seizure patients. And I'm thinking, whoa. Well, you look up vitamin D and, and sleep disturbances, you don't find a whole lot either. The truth is what works is right. You know, just because someone hasn't written a protocol about it yet doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And what works for you, I mean, if, uh, you know, if sex works to get you to sleep at night, well, then go for it, you know, whatever works. But true insomniacs have a problem because all of those things may not work for them. And then they turn to things like Xanax, Valium, and the new, just a whole bunch of sleep medications yeah, out there. Ambien, uh, Rosarum, and... Uh, Luna, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, Lunesta. Lunesta. Before that, there was Dalmain, uh, Restoril. The trouble with all these drugs and no one tells you is you sleep, but you don't sleep deeply. We know there are five stages of sleep. We call them REM, rapid eye movement sleep. If you don't get down to levels four or even five, you don't repair. Remember we talked about you got to sleep to repair your body. And we can now measure when we go down to the second hormone level, growth hormone, to see how well you sleep. So you say, I've been taking Ambien, I've been sleeping, and I go ahead and measure your growth hormone levels, and say, well, your normal levels are over 200, and you're 115. Your sleep isn't worth duly do. Okay? And that's the whole point we're making, is that even though you think you're sleeping, are you repairing? 
So when I measure hormone levels, not only do I measure the vitamin D level, but we measure growth hormone levels. And growth hormone tells you how well you're healing. And if you don't sleep well, you end up with low growth hormone levels and fibromyalgia. My whole body feels like I'm 90 years old in the morning when I wake up. So sleep and repair, vitamin D, and growth hormone. For me, personally, with my sleep disorder, and I think that we all need to kind of identify what our trigger is. For me, I'm the kind that lays in bed, and that's when my mind decides to do its work. Will not shut up. The more I need to get up the next morning, the more that anxiety kicks in. It's the syndrome of looking at the clock. It's 2 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock. And in my past, I've tried to do everything setting the lights right, dimmer before you go to bed, staying off the caffeine, taking all of the stuff we've talked about, but yet there's still an overriding anxiety that can keep me awake. So for me, the only thing that has ever been able to work is Xanax, just because I think it calms whatever anxiety I have. It's an anxiety issue more than some other hormonal sleep disturbance. Anxiety and adrenaline are the same thing. So your adrenaline levels are high enough that you can't balance them with enough GABA and serotonin to calm them down. Now, what I do now, and I, I had as bad as anybody. I mean, I went to where I was feeling like sitting and spinning. I just could function. Uh, what I do now and what I did the last few nights is I worked out hard in the gym uh, yesterday in the morning, so I was a little more tired. I went to bed when I felt I had to go to bed. I took my vitamin D when I went to bed. I woke up at 2 o'clock. I took some more vitamin D. You know, went, woke up at 5 o'clock, took a little more vitamin D, and I got out of bed this morning at 9 o'clock. So I had 11 hours of sleep, which is really pretty good for a guy who used to function on four. So you can use vitamin D. You can use 5-HTP, and you can get off of the Xanaxes and the Ambien's and all the other stuff, which is not going to allow you to get deep enough sleep to repair your body. And... Uh, Trust me, at 62 or at 52 or at 42 or 22, you need to get a good night's sleep. And then without that REM sleep, deep enough REM sleep, you're setting your body up for disaster. Now, everyone who is suffering from chronic insomnia at one point years down the road, consider going to a sleep clinic just to figure out what's going on. I know one gentleman went and they ran the test and when all was said and done, he didn't really have any more information than he started with. They didn't find anything wrong, but the guy still couldn't sleep. So I guess at one point, people end up at a sleep clinic trying to find help. I have a number of people go to sleep clinics, and the real issue here is they have a focus on a treatment, mm -hmm. and that treatment is called CPAP. They're saying in the position of sleep where you go into, you lay on your back, your glottis closes down, you don't breathe for 20, 30 seconds, then you grasp uh, for breath, that wakes you up, and your sleep disturbance is based on oxygenation. So are we talking about sleep apnea? Yes. Okay. So they're looking at one specific treatment. They're not looking at vitamin D levels. They're not looking at GABA. They're not looking at melatonin. They're not looking at 5-HTP. They're looking at a treatment that works, and their outcome is based on the fact that if you have sleep apnea, which I think most people over 50 will have some of, that they'll treat you with this machine that keeps enough pressure in your mouth that you, in fact, will keep your glottis open and you will be able to not awake because you are gasping for air. 
But the trouble is, if you ever put this thing in your face and your mouth, about five seconds into sleep, I've ripped the mask off. So the bottom line is, it may be a very effective treatment for some people. I have a number of people who, whether 50, like Scott that was here before, I think has had uh, a mask for sleep apnea. Uh, but it's not the only cause, but that's where the sleep clinics are aiming. We're going to bring a guest on in a couple of minutes. She'll share some of her experiences with not sleeping, and I think she has a daughter that doesn't sleep as well, too, so we can talk about that. Because it's not just about people, like you said, in their 40s, 50s, and beyond. You can have sleep disturbances in your 20s. When I was doing some research on this, it kept coming back to alcohol being one of the major factors in why people don't sleep alcoholism or people drinking alcohol. The alcohol uh, disturbs your sleep. It, it prohibits you from getting into a deep REM sleep. And, uh, you know, if people drink too much, they, they pass out. They, they think they're sleeping, but they wake up feeling like crap the next day because they didn't get quality sleep. Right. It's all based on getting into REM sleep. And remember, REM sleep is reparative sleep. I agree 100%. But I mean, you look at those numbers that I talked about earlier. It was in the billions that it costs business in people not showing up to work because they can't sleep. And then at work, they tend to fall asleep. They lose focus because they didn't sleep. So then there's the sleep disturbances that are created by hormonal issues. Let's talk about thyroid first. We've talked about vitamin D and, and the old brain. We've talked about growth hormone and the uh, new brain. Now we're talking about thyroid. Half of Michigan, half the people in the goiter belt here in the Midwest have low thyroid. Now, without thyroid, you're slow, you're tired, your nails are brittle, uh, your hair, hair gets thin, um, and you get chunky. Thyroid is a gland that sits below your Adam's apple in your neck. Thyroid is necessary for growth and energy. If you're born with low levels of thyroid, it actually causes cretinism. Which is? Mental retardation, small statue. Hmm. If you develop low thyroid, once you're fully grown, you get tired, fatigued, sleep long hours, 10, 12, 14 hours, but you're always tired. If your thyroid doesn't function, you may develop goiters, which is enlarged nodules in the neck. And actually, I think we mentioned before that in Michigan and Ohio, they invented iodized Salt in the 1920s because half the kids coming to school had goiters. Goiters. I mean, the only time I've ever heard that word before is like really old people <laughs> have goiter problems. Right. That These are big, big knots in the neck. Oh. And goiter. low thyroid is endemic in the Midwest and anywhere where they're not getting salt and iodine, which is the coast eating fish. So half of half the United States probably is hypothyroid. We measure thyroid with seven different blood tests. If you're low in thyroid, you sleep too much and you don't get rested. If you're hyperthyroid, you don't sleep at all. So thyroid can affect sleep. So someone who is sleeping for 10 or 12 hours and not being rested by adding some thyroid, they can sleep better, sleep less, and have a more active life. Most people notice a big difference taking thyroid. They say, gosh, I'm awake, I'm alive, I can focus. Remember we talked about cretinism. If you're low in thyroid, you can't think. You can't focus. If you're high in thyroid, it's like you're sitting on a, uh, a hot pan, uh, on a stove. You just can't sit still. Uh, weight, energy, mental focus are all driven by thyroid. So it's very important to have your thyroid measured if you have troubles with sleep. 
So where do you start with all these measurements? Do you start with the blood to see the vitamin D and then you go look at the thyroid? Is there a protocol for how you check down? Well, what I discovered or created, and it's on my website and it's in the book, is a blood panel, actually 94 tests. Uh, we've got it down to now around $350. That's great. And uh, with these tests, we can look at all your thyroid functions, all your adrenal functions, your growth hormone, your vitamin D, your estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and other elements that are important in knowing what your minerals are. So one series of blood tests, 94 tests, 218 interpretation, we have an algorithm now that actually says this is what you should look like, look at for prevention as well as treatment. Because if I pick up that uh, uh, Rachel's daughter has low levels of vitamin D, maybe it'll help the sleep pattern that she didn't tell us about. Or maybe that the fact that her thyroid is low, a little thyroid will help her focus better and do better in school. We don't do prevention. And the blood panel is both for prevention and for intervention. If someone wanted to order that blood test and they're living out of state, the website is usdoctor.com. They can go order it there. What's the protocol? They order it and they you send them to a place in their neck of the woods? Actually, it's set up so simply they can print off the lab tests right off the computer. So usdoctor.com, look at lab tests and print it off. But they have to go get the blood drawn. They have to physically go to a lab, whether it's LabCorp, Quest. And what happens is when the blood is drawn, and their insurance usually will pick up most of the tests, the results are sent back to my office. And then once the data is in my office, patients can call and set up a consultation, and we can explain to them what it means. Is that included in the $350? No, $350 is just for the laboratory services. Okay. They could take the form to their doctor, have their doctor sign the form, uh, then they can go ahead and go back to their doctor to get a copy of the test and let their doctor interpret it. But my interpretation of the lab test will probably be a little different than what the routine doctor would look at. And that's the key. I mean, that's what we need, people, when we have these issues. Get the blood work done. Uh, get someone who knows how to interpret it. Give you the 411 on what your issues are within that blood, right? That's right. And in the textbook of bioidentical hormones, we explain a lot of it. But there's certain combinations that you just can't explain. And that's where the experience of doing this for 40 years does make a difference. So definitely, if you're fatigued and you're, you're suffering chronic insomnia and you haven't done this test, I would recommend you do it. USDoctor.com is the website where you can get more information on that. Um, let's bring in Rachel for a couple of minutes. Rachel's here, and, and she's had some issues with sleep disturbances as well. How are you, Rachel? I'm good. How are you, Stephen? I'm good. What, tell me some of your sleep issues. Oh, I've kind of run the gamut. I uh, currently am sleeping pretty well. Every once in a while, I have a... A night where I don't sleep well, but I feel fine for the rest of the day. The mm -hmm. next night, I'll I'll do fine and get back on track. But in the past, um, I've gone through periods where I haven't slept, maybe two, three year periods, even maybe a few months at a time. And looking back, I'm thinking it must have been hormonal. At the time, I didn't know what was going on with me. I'd lie in bed with either anxiety or more often than not, I'd have long bouts of um restless leg syndrome every single night. I never went to the doctor, never talked to the doctor about it. I just I just lived it. And Were you diagnosed with restless leg syndrome? No, but I, I believe that's what it is. It's not just thinking I've got to get up and clean the house. It's really uh, feeling this, this uncontrollable impulse to just... 
my legs would just jerk or I had to keep them moving. It was uncontrollable. I'd get out of bed, go over to the couch and just jiggle. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I just have to jiggle my legs for an hour and then eventually fall asleep. Is that a sleep disorder, restless leg syndrome? Actually, the other component that we add to sleep is magnesium. And restless leg is really a sign and a symptom of magnesium deficiency. You see, our food doesn't have the magnesium levels of 50 years ago. The magnesium content of lettuce and radishes and uh, certain other green vegetables is 50%. So in the blood panel I do, I measure what's called a red blood cell magnesium because regular measurements of magnesium don't work. And one thing you can do for restless leg is just a tablespoon of milk magnesia. And a tablespoon of milk and magnesia at bedtime not only helps sleep, and the people who come to me from all over the country who have sleep disturbances, I just give them IV magnesium in high doses till they basically fall asleep right here on the table. So magnesium, a tablespoon at bedtime, won't give you diarrhea, but within a matter of a few days, the restless leg disappears. There's a magnesium product out there called Calm. I think a teaspoon is about 800 milligrams, I'm thinking. Is that a good place to start? That's fine. Milk of magnesia is 1,500. So whichever cheap, simple, liquid product you can find, 80% of these people with restless leg will be able to take this at a savings of hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And that could actually cure that or stop that? Right. We're talking about cause and effect. The medical treatment for restless leg syndrome is nothing more than a Band-Aid on a symptom. And the cause of restless leg is usually, for most people like Rachel, is a magnesium deficiency. We're not talking about diabetics. We're not talking about people with neuropathies. We're talking about the average person out there who wants a treatment, take calm, take magnesium in a liquid form, and see if the problem doesn't go away in a matter of days. So this is one of those things that could actually be in your new book. Because, I mean, there's a a medication now out by a pharmaceutical company for restless leg syndrome. And you don't necessarily have to start with the medication. That'd be one of the drugs you just basically eliminate. Rachel, tell me a little bit about your daughter. She is in her 20s and she's having sleep disturbances already. Yeah, she's just 21. And uh, I, I think that the lifestyle of a college student, although she's a very good student, she gets her work done. But that lifestyle has got to take its toll on any person. And add to that a girl who's, um, I should say young woman, who's uh, really suffered with a lot of uh, menstrual problems. She's regular, but um, just painful cramps for up to four days each month and PMS symptoms and lots of sleep problems. But you know that college students will stay up all night, whether they're doing their homework or or partying, you know, they get their schedules turned around. And and then if they're responsible enough to to, uh, go to class every day, they're just skipping. They're skipping an entire night's sleep, sometimes two or three days in a row. So that's got to be messing with uh, all of her rhythms and hormones and whatnot. Well, I'm sure it does, Dr. Licken. We talked about the rhythm of sleep getting in the proper groove, if you will. That's right. And, and, you know, we all have lived it. We want to see what we can do with our our bodies. We now are in control of our bodies. Can we go all night? Can we drink four gallons of, of uh, you know, alcohol? <laughs> Whatever it is that kids do uh, to prove what the limits are because they're now on their own and they don't have the limits. And the more they have to do, if they have a job, they have school, they have responsibilities, the less that they can push the limits. 
I mean, we all have done it, uh, and uh, they have to learn, you know, the hard way. But vitamin D can help reset their circadian rhythm. Uh, you know, I flew back just recently from Europe, and the bottom line is I basically came back to work the next day. Uh, using the vitamin D and the GABA to function, to for, force my body into sleeping at the right time. I'm still off a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's only been a few days. But the bottom line is if I can come back to work the next day, uh, it's because I could force my body to say it's sleep time, not wake time. And you can do it with the vitamin D. Uh, and you can do it with the GABA. And you can do it with the magnesium, the 5-HTP. So it's a concept of understanding that you do have control of your insomnia and you can do it without a prescription. Other than gabapentin, everything else is available over the counter. But again, having said all that, there are people out there that all of the above don't work. That's true. And oh my God, then what do you do? That's hell. Well, when I do, and I have had people come from all over the United States for sleep disturbance, and we're not talking about the ones who have sleep apnea. Okay, so let's extend, they've already seen the sleep clinic and it hasn't worked, is I'll add one prescription medicine to what we're talking about. We talked about the IV magnesium, mm -hmm. and we load up the IV magnesium over two or three days, and there's a medicine called Adorax. Adorax is for hives. Adorax is in the Benadryl family. And now there's a few people that get agitated with Benadryl, but most don't. So what I'll do for the people who just absolutely can't sleep is we'll give them oral, or actually injections of Adorax. And Adorax is what? It's an antihistamine. It's like Benadryl. It's in the same family if you go up to another drug called Thorazine. You know, you see in the movies, this guy's agitated and they give him a shot of Thorazine and just bunk. He just passes right out. So Adorax is over the counter. Adorax, I mean, Adorax is prescription. Benadryl's over the counter. Adorax can be injectable. And I had one lady here from West Virginia, loaded up with magnesium, she got sleepy, took a nap, couldn't go to sleep that night. We gave her a couple injections of Adorax. She had a really good night's sleep, broke the cycle, and she went back to Virginia. It's been now two years, she hasn't had a problem. So for some, it's that simple. You break the cycle. That's right. It's all whether you can break the cycle naturally, whether you can break the cycle with prescription medicine, and then if you can't, there's interventions that a doctor can do naturally with the minerals, the magnesium, and with prescription medication. And then, so part of me now wonders how much of this insomnia is mental because that cycle, part of that cycle is up here in the head. Oh my God, another night. You get scared at bedtime that you're not going to sleep again. And then if a, a pill had been working for you, when you back off that, you mentally rely on that to help you sleep. So what part is actually physiological as opposed to mental? Well, just like we talked about before, I don't believe that most of this is mental. I believe this is hormonal and physical. I mean, I've been through it. I know there's days and I'm upset and I don't sleep and I punch my pillows like you do. Uh, and the point is there are things that will upset you and keep you awake. But in the overall plan of everything, if we have a balanced hormonal milieu, our environment inside us is stable, we can sleep. So yeah, there's always exceptions, but what's the general content day after day? And day after day, if you got enough vitamin D, melatonin, 5-HTP, GABA, magnesium, minerals, if your body is balanced, you'll sleep. And the hormonal issues are real for women, They're more real. than men. They're real for everybody, but we're, we haven't even gotten down to that level yet, but we're going to go to the adrenal 
and the sex hormones, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and how they affect sleep in just a moment. Did you have something else, uh, Rachel, over there? Well, when Dr. Lichten was talking about the Benadryl, what was the, the Adorex. name? Adorex. Uh, it just rang a bell. I remembered um, back to when my kids were younger, uh, I think Benadryl is a mother's best friend from infancy on up through maybe 12 years old. When you have a crying baby or someone who just will not go to sleep, sometimes a little extra dose of Benadryl is what mothers will use. And I think most mothers will have to admit that they've used that from time to time, not to treat an allergy or hives, but to get the kid to go to sleep. And in fact, I just also remembered that about 10 years ago when I was traveling with a friend, we typically don't sleep well on the road. Maybe the bed's uncomfortable or just being away from home. It's just hard to sleep for the first couple nights. We would take our bennies along with us and take them ourselves. I mean, these are 40s women taking Benadryl just to take the edge off and just relax and get a good night's sleep. But it's good to hear that it's, it's not harmful. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you don't give a kid a whole bottle of Benadryl, but just a little bit. Well, I mean, they make baby Benadryl, right? Right, Right. and actually... uh, one more thing that comes back now after 30-some years is uh, uh, my children got hyper on Benadryl. So we didn't use Benadryl, but uh, um, my daughter never slept. I mean, she was just to where we were like hell every day of the week. And I learned from an old-time pediatrician about using phenobarbital. And actually, phenobarbital drops back in the 1970s or were, actually were available. And a couple drops of phenobarb put this hyperactive kid to sleep so mom and dad were able to live but when people hear that word they think of psychotic people or something don't they again everything is dose related i told you that gabapentin we use it for seizures is 3,000 milligrams and i'll use 100 to 400 milligrams to get people to sleep so one sixth one eighth the standard dose doesn't sound like a whole lot and when we use phenobarbital drops for children we're talking about just a couple drops just to reset their brains so they weren't all overwrought. And it was enough to save uh, save the the parents' lives. Yeah, I mean, it gets to that point, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, four months without sleeping and both of you walk around like zombies. Yeah, no question. Some people sleep really well after sex. What's going on with the brain that allows it to reset into a relaxed mode after sex? The hormones that certain uh, certain hormones kick in that mellow you out, right? The serotonin levels go way up after sex, okay. And uh, men and women are obviously different. Some women will sleep well. Uh, men usually after sex sleep quite well, <laughs> far uh, too quickly for a lot of women. Thank you. Good night. Do they even have enough time to say that? Anyway, the bottom exactly. line, honey, are you still breathing? Okay, now we're back. Now, now back to our uh, our our audio. So the point is, serotonin release is uh, natural after uh, sexual release, and there's other hormones that are released as well, including oxytocin and vasopressin, which are minor hormones. And uh, again, we don't really know a lot about these two. And I do have some people who are telling me they use oxytocin to increase libido. I have others who tell me they use oxytocin for mental focus. I don't have enough information yet on how these minor neurohormones affect people. But if you're doing well, we don't have to function with that. I want to learn more about oxytocin. been hearing a lot more about it lately. 
there's really not enough data in the literature, and all I have are case reports, like someone tells me this works for this or that. Uh, energy, weight loss, uh, sexual um, orgasm uh, have been linked to levels of uh, oxytocin, but I haven't had consistent information, so I can just say it's of interest. Uh, it's not expensive. It's only available through a compounding pharmacy. If you use it or don't use it, uh, you can report your experiences and pass it back to us. But again, no consistent data in the literature. Uh, it is only by prescription in the United States. And uh, again, just uh, anecdotal re- reports. For some people who have the anxiety uh, because their mind's going and they have so much stuff going on in their life, one doctor recommended something to me that yeah, made a degree of sense. I think he called it, um, I, I'm thinking that he was using the word dumping, actually. And what he meant by that was it's just a, a download of anything that you think is important to you on paper before you attempt to go to bed. Sit down, go over the things that are bothering you, the things you know you need to do, write it out right then and there. So when you lay down, because a lot of people lay down and that's when they go, oh my God, I need to remember this. They don't get up and write it down. So they keep trying to remember that while they're trying to fall asleep, which is counterproductive. So, you know, that may work for some people. Get their thoughts on paper. Any suggestions? You can try anything. You know, uh, everybody has their own individual ways of doing things. Um, Whatever works, works. So then let's kind of wrap this into a ball and tell us if you're a patient, if we're out here and we're not able to sleep, exactly the steps we need to do. Come to see you and then we're going to do the blood and then we need to do what so that we can try to get back to sleep. Okay, in summary, number one, low levels of vitamin D are endemic. So vitamin D drops are very effective and the more... uh, the darker your skin, the more you need. If you can get outside and get bright sunlight, it can only help. And use some sunscreen to resolve the issue of uh, the dermatologist. Number two, uh, GABA can be bought over the counter along with vitamin D and 5-HTP and magnesium. Prescription gabapentin is actually superior because it's absorbed across a blood-brain barrier. Uh, number two, uh, measure the other hormones. We only had time to talk about thyroid. We talked about too much adrenaline not uh, restful uh, sleep affects how much adrenaline you put on. If you have to drive yourself to function during the day, you'll rely on your adrenaline, your nicotine, and your caffeine. So yeah, if you have 12 cups of coffee in the morning and you can't sleep at night, you know why. And if you're on the two packs a day cigarettes and your last cigarettes before you go to bed, now you know why you can't sleep. What we didn't have time to talk about today was the other hormones. So women who are in menopause, High levels of brain circulating hormones, LH and FSH, will wake them up, disrupts their sleep. This is called delta sleep pattern, which feels like spikes of wakefulness. We have, we have a couple of minutes. What is LH and FSH? What do those stand for? In the brain, there are signaling hormones. FSH is called follicle-stimulating hormone. This is what makes a woman release her egg, her follicle. In the man, FSH and LH is what makes him make sperm. LH is called luteinizing hormone. Luteinizing is the second phase of the menstrual cycle when the woman produces a thicker lining and in fact it makes the lining of the uterus receptive for a fertilized egg. So FSH and LH are like, think of mom in the kitchen. 
she calls out to the kids in the backyard. That's FSH and LH. Now, the kids in the backyard representing estrogen for female and testosterone for men call back and tell mom that they're okay. This is called a feedback loop. Now, if mom calls out and the kids don't answer, she calls out louder and louder. And what happens is when there's no response from the uh, ovaries in the uh, backyard, these levels of FSH and LH are so high that they disrupt the sleep pattern. Feedback loop. Now, when we replace the hormones, giving the woman estrogen or testosterone, it shuts down this FSH and LH and she's able to sleep. And same thing applies to the guy. Uh, I had terrible insomnia. I was waking up twice a night with uh, night sweats and having to take showers. And my testosterone level was in the toilet. And when I taken testosterone replacement, my sleep pattern resumed within two days. Why would testosterone regulate or help your sleep? Again, the same LH and FSH, these high triggers from your brain trying to get some response from your ovaries or your gonads, that triggers a disruption in sleep. It's like having electrical jolt to your brain. Uh And that's what disrupts the sleep pattern in a menopausal or an andropausal individual. By giving enough hormone to shut down mom screaming in in the kitchen, those signals drop to a normal level and sleep patterns can go back to normal. Okay. Hey, Rachel, you had a question the other day. It's not directly related, but it was a good question about getting your hormone levels checked and how do you know when you went in uh, what they were? What was that question? Uh, I was just thinking about how if I decided to have that that uh, blood test that's $350, I think, and it gives you all these different levels and readings and... Um, if I have it done once on today, my levels are going to be, you know, the numbers will be out on the paper. But I guess my question is, doesn't it fluctuate? Don't so many of those hormones fluctuate from day to day or even hour to hour? So how can you be sure of what my average is? Yeah, and that's the female end of that. The same for the male would be I come in, you check my testosterone. Uh, today, it could be 200. Tomorrow it could be 800, maybe. Yeah, because you had said earlier that if, a, if you're under a lot of stress, your testosterone can drop. So when we come in on test day and you read those results, how do you know that that is an average? Okay, let's take one at a time. Rachel comes in and assume we're somewhere around 50 and we think we're men- probably menopausal. We know that the numbers for FSH and LH should be under 10 if she were 25 or 30. She's menopausal levels could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 100. So if she's over 20, she's menopausal. She could be over 20 or she could be 100. doesn't make any difference. We still know that she's menopausal. Now, when we add the hormone levels back, we have two ways of measuring that she's now normal. One, she comes back and says, got no more hot flashes and sleeping better. Then we have a symptom that says we're now better, or we can measure the blood level at some point in time and say, gosh, your FSH and LH levels are under 10. You must be sleeping better. I go rely on the art of medicine, which is what the patient tells me. If she's sleeping better, that's, that's we've reached a standard point of success. In reference to you, yeah, if, if you were a ranger and your big burly guy that jumps out of the airplanes with 100 pounds of, of uh, supplies and equipment on your back, 
and I go ahead and make sure for the next five days if someone keeps prodding you so you can't sleep, your testosterone levels drop from 1,000 to 150. So sleep disruption will lower testosterone levels, but you're not being prodded by someone usually with electric prod to keep you awake for five or six days, so your patterns aren't gonna vary from 1,000 down to 150. So if you're 200 one day, you may be 250 the next, or maybe even 300, but you're not gonna change you know, 800%. So if you're under 450, and we have those ratios we've established, and you're not normal, then giving you testosterone replacement or one of the other anabolics we're using, you report your symptom. I'm sleeping better. I feel better. Mm-hmm. My sex performance is better. Yeah. My life is better. So it's the art of medicine is listening to you report the symptoms, and the science of medicine says get us in the right ballpark with a measurement of the blood work. And stress lowers the testosterone, and lack of sleep can lower your testosterone. Right, we got two things. The term is anabolic and catabolic. Anabolic means makes you healthy, makes you well. Normal vitamin D, normal growth hormone, normal thyroid, normal adrenal function, normal testosterone, and woman normal estrogen. Those things that compete with this would be high adrenaline, high insulin, diabetes, and then disruption of these other hormones that we talk about being normal. So we have eight hormones that are on your positive side and two and three are on the negative side, but low levels of good hormones are bad. And high levels of bad hormones are bad. So we just have to look at these and say, where are you balanced? And then address it by reducing your bad hormones, by cutting down your stress and getting your diabetes under control, and increasing your good hormones, vitamin D, growth hormone, thyroid, adrenal, DHEA, and testosterone, estrogen. It's not... After 40 years, I can say it's not that complicated anymore. This is all I've been thinking about for 40 damn years. This is what works for hundreds of patients to see us every week. But it's the total program that we try to make ourselves healthier with that helps our sleep, makes us healthier. I mean, it's not just one thing. It's the way we eat. It's the way we sleep. It's the way we think or relax. And and all of that comes into play. The older we get, the more we have to make sure that all the components are working. But if you're out there and you say, gosh, you know, what can I do today? Well, you try your vitamin D, you can buy some 5-HTP, you can buy some GABA, you can buy some melatonin, you take your magnesium, and most of you will find you sleep better. It's our gift to you today is, hey, this is simple, this is knowledge, this is our medical and our community interest in making your life better. Start with doing it, read about it, check the website, and uh, if you have further problems, you know where to go to get answers. Who are you going to call? You're going to call Dr. Edward Lichten at 248-593-9999. Again, his phone number is 248-593-9999. He also has a great website, usdoctor.com. And if you'd like to write us at the show, you can get a hold of us at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and Dr. Lichten would answer your questions. But I would highly recommend that you call Dr. Lichten if you're suffering from sleep problems, insomnia, chronic, or you just want to get yourself in a healthier state. Get your hormones balanced. That's what it's all about, right, doctor? It's a good place to start. And he's the guy. He's the guy I would go to. He's the guy I have gone to. And uh, this is your place right here, Dr. Lichten's office. As always, Dr. Lichten, a pleasure doing the show with you. Always my privilege. Rachel, thank you for stopping by. It was very fun. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next week with another great subject right here on Dr. Lichten's program, The Lichten Lifestyle. 
I'm Steve Peck. We'll talk to you again next week.